welcome to Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we don't focus on all those new shiny, shiny things to buy. Instead, we focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and a happier relationship with electronics, and our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Janet, and I'm from the Restart Project. I'll be your host today, and I'm joined by Libby Peak, who's a senior policy advisor at Green Alliance UK. Welcome, Libby. Thank you. <laughs> um, and in this episode, we're going to talk about some of the current... Um, policy processes affecting uh, the way we buy and use uh, electronics and appliances um, in Europe and the UK, and about the growing public interest in more repairable and longer-lasting products, which, as you can imagine, for us is great news. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the meantime, maybe we're going to go through just a couple little small little news tidbits. So related to all of this, um, today European member states, European Union member states met to vote on um, design-related measures, um, regulations essentially, for uh, dishwashers, and they'll be voting on some for washing machines this week. And it's fairly technical process um, and fairly opaque for those of us sitting here. But um, our Ugo, uh, Ugo, my co-founder of the Restart Project, has was there in Brussels and he'll no doubt update us later um, and we're waiting on word from that but it's a promising promising process. I think this is an absolutely fabulous step and it's something that people have been calling for for a while so the EU legislation is called the Eco Design Directive um, but normally it's been used to apply only to energy efficiency and, and it sounds like it should apply to, to designer products but it's normally been used just to, to look at how much energy things use when they're in use and not how they're designed and so and listeners may recognize or recognize those stickers on appliances they have with the rainbow colors on them and the grades for efficiency yeah right? and it's been absolutely fantastically effective it's done so many good things it's reduced energy consumption um by actually energy efficiency measures in general have reduced it more than renewable energy has so it's been really really good for the environment it's saved people money the eu thinks that it's saved people on average up to 500 um, euros a year per household in in the eu um, and it's also improved the design of products even though that wasn't the main focus of it but it, it's meant that the least efficient products have been driven off the market because people have had to design products that use less energy but perform the same tasks or better. And so it's been a great success story. Mm. Um, and it's fantastic that it's now being applied to resource efficiency. Aha, uh -huh. so can you explain what that difference is? Because it's really important to us. Yeah, absolutely. So instead of just looking at how much these products, how much energy these products use, um, it's trying to encourage changes in design for durability, repairability, recyclability, um, composition as well. And so it's looking at all sorts of other factors and trying to bring up the product standards so that they last longer and that they're repairable. Yeah, so it puts the focus on efficiency over the whole of the life cycle. So it looks at actually all of the resources and energy that go into the manufacture of of the products we use and not just that phase when we buy them and plug them in. So that's really great. Yeah. Um, we'll be talking a little bit more about that in this in this program. Also, we heard over, um, well, just after the uh, the holidays that Apple was reporting to investors that 
uh, one of the reasons that it uh, it wasn't making as much money is that um, iPhone users were repairing and replacing batteries, and um, it seemed as though they were. So, or, Apple almost kind of made it sound like we were taking advantage of of uh, of repair and kind of undermining their business model. And I, I thought the the phrasing of it was rather curious. Did you read that? Um, well, I, I read the I read the idea that um, this is part of um, a larger trend in people reaching peak stuff, so they don't necessarily want to have the latest phone if their current phone is still working or they don't need more clothes. There were profit warnings for some clothing companies before Christmas and, and that was one of the things that was talked about then. And so wow. if, if we don't need to, yeah. we don't need to keep buying things if, if what we have is, is working just fine. And I think people are increasingly holding on to things for longer. I wonder if there's some other factors going into that. But anyway, it's probably... Um, <laughs> Uh, good news for the planet, at least, um, if nothing else. And the other interesting story that I just it was cracking me up earlier um, was the controversy over Greg's vegan sausage roll in Veganuary. And yeah. um, did I, I kind of sensed that, like, uh, I, d I, never, I never imagined that... Um, that a budget pastry would cause such controversy <laughs> um, and almost like a backlash. So, you know, in relation to that feeling of maybe peak stuff and, um, you know, the, the, the increase in, 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 you know, kind of environmental awareness, I think there is also potentially a backlash that we might be seeing. Um, did you sense any of that? Um, I, I mm. think it is worth bearing in mind. I think it, it, it's quite easy for people to get caught up in a bubble, whether it's a Westminster bubble or an environmentalist bubble, and people who, who share the same aims of, of making sure that we're using less stuff and that we're, we're being much more efficient in general. And it, It's useful to, to remember that this is a journey that you actually have to take everyone along with you on mm. um, so it can't just be some people that are that are dealing with this it, it has to it would be yeah. much better if it was generally accepted and, and pushed for across the economy and I think with things like like plastic and increasingly with um, resource efficient products you are seeing a general shift across the population which is a really good thing yeah okay that's a great um, transition so I wanted to ask you a little bit about your work at Green Alliance um, but and, and a recent report that you've just released um, but first tell us a little bit about you know what it is you do at Green Alliance and what Green Alliance does so Green Alliance is an independent charity and think tank and our aim is to make sure that whatever government is is in place is ensure is making the most environmentally sound policies possible um, and so we work across various different areas we cover um, natural environment low carbon energy clean growth and resource stewardship it's a whole lot yeah <laughs> it's kind of a dizzying amount yeah there, there are a lot of environmental matters that are incredibly important um, and the one that I work on is resource stewardship and so quite often that, that means dealing with things like recycling and, and waste and standing in front of bin overflowing bins and talking about that um, and also increasingly hopefully about resource efficiency and, and in really looking at the start of the production process to make sure that waste is designed out and that the economy is as circular as possible. Yeah, because it's okay. So one of my frustrations over the years has been just the incessant focus on recycling. And um, I remember even in primary school that there were three R's. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm glad that some of the focus has come back to um, some of the earlier R's. And a recent report that you've just uh, released um, gets into what you call a resource-efficient economy and, um, and what people want from it. Like, in other words, what 
will motivate people to get involved and to support a resource-efficient economy. So tell us more about your recent report and research. Yeah, so this came out of um, a partnership that we've got with the Centre for Industrial Energy Materials and Products, which is um, a consortium of universities that are, are researching how to make production processes more energy efficiency and looking into things like the, the carbon benefits from, from having more resource efficient production processes. Um, and so this follows on from another report that we did, which was called Less In, More Out, which was looking explicitly at the carbon savings, the potential carbon savings from more resource-efficient production and consumption in, in different sectors in the UK. Um, but we recognise that you have to have people go with you on this journey, as I, as yeah, I was talking sounds, about that, that Even that name sounds a bit like, wow, um, that's uh, industrial systems processes. It feels a bit removed from, from even from, from my life, and I'm kind of even almost work on these things. So. Yeah, so, yeah. so like, as with energy efficiency, with resource efficiency, you have to get people to use the systems that you're designing. So it, it's not enough to know what's going to have the best impact. You have to convince people to, to, to go with you and use that. Um, and so this next report, this latest report, is called By Popular Demand, and it's based on research that was done at Cardiff University, which is one of the members of CMAP. Um, and they polled, they, they did two things. They, they did in-depth workshops where they talked to people about what they want out of a resource-efficient economy. And then they did a, quite an extensive poll of more than a thousand people about how they feel about different aspects of resource-efficient economy. So it looked at things like extending product lifetime, improving product design, sharing products, and also at um, quite radical lifestyle changes and asked people how they felt about all those things. I really I liked the way it was designed and the way it's presented also. So kudos to you guys. And it, it gets into some of the really the topics that actually in the end sometimes um, decision makers push back and say, oh, you guys are being dreamers or, oh, you you just represent a small portion of the population. Yeah. Um, and so for us, it was really gratifying to see this larger poll and to see that there is, um, you know, widespread support for some of the things you mentioned. So yeah. tell us about the results. <laughs> so. So some of the things that, that they asked about are already incredibly popular with the public. Um, first of all, I should probably say that there is overwhelming support for the general concept of a resource-efficient efficient economy. Everyone, everyone thinks that we should have a more resource-efficient economy. Um, the Here in the UK. Yeah, yes. this is in the UK. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good caveat. <laughs> yeah. um, a representative survey from, from mm -hmm. around the UK. So the, the figure for, for the people who don't want a resource-efficient economy, and I'm not sure what they're thinking, but it's only not 0.4%. So everyone else thinks that there's at least some need to, to use resources more efficiently. And so they were asked about specific things, and, and the category that was the most popular, actually, where everything was, was supported, was improving design. So they were asked about reduced and recyclable packaging, about product and packaging light weighting, and about having modular and repairable designed products. Um, and everyone was in favor of those, those three things. And they were also quite positive about extended lifetimes for, for these products. So... They liked the idea of extended producer responsibility, and that's the concept that the people who are designing materials and putting them on the market should bear full financial responsibility for their life cycle impacts, even when they become waste. Um, and the idea there is that that gives the, the producers incentive to design better products that last longer, um, and they don't have to handle as waste so frequently. Um, they also like remanufacturing, and then there were mixed feelings about product service systems. Mm. Um, 
But some some people were still. Can you explain what a product service system is? Then yes, (laughs) of course. Uh, So a product service system is is a system where you don't actually own the products that that Mm -hmm. are delivering a service to you. So instead of owning a washing machine, you would uh, the company would keep ownership of that, and you would just pay to have the service in your house, and and that would, in theory, give the again give the producers the incentive to make products okay. that are better and more efficient but this could also include like you know kind of library of things type so so sharing of tool sharing schemes and other things like that, Is that so that's okay. that's definitely related okay. um that's another that's another thing uh-huh. that means you don't have to have mm. so many products um in in our survey that was uh, in the report it's considered in a separate category of on its own of just okay. sharing products so okay either reuse or reselling products, okay. which already happens, or libraries of things, or sharing mm-hmm. programs like car sharing programs. Those were considered separately. Okay. Um, and those were predominantly received very positively as well. Mm, interesting. Okay. Okay, so people are not so hot necessarily on rental or, or product service models, as you call them, and potentially more interested in, in um, you know, platforms or sh- sharing. Uh, yeah, sharing. Yeah, sharing I think systems. so. One of the things that they found was that people are just quite apprehensive about entering into new contracts mm. with companies well, because you can blame them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so they've already been on the losing end. A lot of people on phone contracts that yeah. they can't get out of, or things like that. And so, I think there's there's some reticence mm. given the current lack of consumer rights or inability to access the, the consumer rights that they think they deserve. That. So they're, they're just a bit wary of um, yeah, having loopholes like that. Yeah, or increasingly seeing like, you know, um, embedded software and everything and updates messing things up and things getting locked down by manufacturers. Yeah, I can see why people might might already have a bit of a bad taste in their mouth about exactly. that. Okay, that's interesting. That's, that's an interesting observation. Yeah. And then lastly, there was the, is it the, the radical changes in lifestyle? Yes. So I'm always interested to hear about this too. So yeah, so this is something that... Um, obviously has to be tackled in the long run um we we launched this at a at a report uh, at an event um that came out shortly after the ipcc report which was saying that basically we've got 12 years to radically overhaul how the economy works um and as part of that you will have to have radical lifestyle changes um and so people were asked about a asked to envision a very different future where they potentially had shared living or working spaces um where they were potentially um, carbon or material taxes um, and where they are, had potentially carbon or material allowances which mean that the allowances mean that there'd be a set limit to the amount of carbon or, or mm. resources that you could use every year and they really weren't keen on that but they were more open to carbon or material based taxes to replace to replace VAT because there was a feeling that that would make resource efficient and, and environmentally friendly products more accessible to everyone, which is which is something that they think that the current system doesn't always provide, and and they're right. That's that's actually really an interesting observation, and um, well, all of these are really uh, they're really they're basically uh, pointing the way for policymakers to figure out how to you know yeah how to how to undertake measures that that already have public support yeah. and that are kind of like no brainers from on a political sense um how much how much traction what was the response to the report i mean i know that it's a it's kind of a difficult time in the uk um as given all the other concerns we have but you know did you get any feedback or any response um yeah i mean the the, posit- the the response has been really positive and the 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 thing that we were saying in the report is like look this this is a no brainer it it saves 
it'll save people money, it'll save carbon and environmental impacts. And you've got a public mandate to do it because people really want a resource-efficient economy, especially in the first instance, um, making sure that they've got long-lasting products and, and recyclable packaging. Um, and so there, there has been quite good response from government um, at just the time when the government was producing its first resources and waste strategy in, in over a decade, which I'm sure we're going to be getting yeah. on to. Yeah, great. <laughs> You're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM, and we're talking with Libby Peake from Green Alliance about resources, um, resource efficiency, products, and all of that. Um, and we were just talking about a new report that Green Alliance released called By Popular Demand, What People Want from a Resource-Efficient Economy. And yeah, so it's revealed that people are actually quite positive about a lot of some of the um, quite straightforward um, policy measures that could be taken. Um, and you're saying you got a rel relatively positive response from from uh, decision makers and policymakers. Um, what are so okay? So what are the what are the ways forward? What are the low hanging fruit? And what are the things that we're going to have to work longer on? Um, um, well, I, I think the the low hanging fruit is actually goes hand in hand with what's going on in the EU at the moment because uh -huh. um, obviously most of most of the environmental legislation that we've got in the UK at the moment has for the past forty odd years come from the EU and the EU has been the driving force between behind standards to improve energy efficiency and they're the ones that are driving resource efficiency. Um, so the first in, the first thing that has to be done is, is simply to adopt those. And yes. then the next thing that has to be done is to obviously go further, in, in, including in areas of making sure that products are more repairable and, and you can disassemble them and it's not just the professional repairers who can replace a light bulb in a fridge or something like that. So um, improving on, on those sorts of things is where we need to go after making sure that we do actually meet all the standards that are coming through from the EU. Yeah, I guess there's so much uncertainty about that process in and of itself. And um, I guess until some of that's resolved, we can't necessarily make headway with some of these, um, some of these, um, uh, you know, ideas, policy ideas. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about, so, you know, I guess whenever you work on policy or campaigns, you always think about, okay, who's against it? So we, we, we can see that there is broad-based public support um, for a lot of these measures, but um, you know who potentially stands to lose, and you know how do they align against it? I mean, I can I can think of a very famous British manufacturer uh, who is very against resource efficiency, <laughs> um, but he's not his company is not the only one. He's not alone. Yeah. Um, so if you can tell us a little bit more about maybe where the resistance might come from here as well. I think with a lot of changes that you that you need to see to shift towards a more environmentally sound society, there are going to be winners and losers. Um, the interesting thing I think about this is that some of the big companies that that are out there now don't actually have to be losers if they changed their mindset and changed their business model. Um, we We did a workshop where there were some representatives from electronics companies who hadn't hadn't really seemed to think of the idea that they could sell a product along with a repair package or, or something like that, which is something that if, if they don't need to keep selling products over and over again, they could instead maintain some of their um, client base by, by making sure that they provide 
repair services as part of the package. And so if if they think about things differently um, and see the writing on the wall, then, yeah. then not ev- they, they wouldn't necessarily have to lose out from... I guess it's it. that it's somewhat the quarterly mindset, isn't it? That, that these it's these reports to investors that these companies are always thinking about. And so they're sometimes unable to, to make that shift in mentality that might be responding to problems, you know, um, years down the line yeah. um, when in fact investors want to know about the next quarter so I think probably that's one of the biggest challenges. Exactly so well, another challenge that, that we face sometimes is that with something like resource efficiency it is something that in a lot of instances would save businesses money so if, if, if for instance they change production processes to, to have less waste in it it would save them money and all sorts of things like that and so when you present that argument to policymakers, sometimes they would respond and say well businesses would save money so we don't need to do anything but but actually what we see is that businesses on their own don't necessarily have that strategic foresight to be Mm. able to bring in the changes without some sort of government guidance to make sure that they do yeah one example i love to give is the mobile charger is the you know the the harmony so can everybody remember a time when you know there let's let's give let's minus uh, subtract apple from the equation can everyone remember a time when all the other non-iphones had different chargers um but you know the ec came forward and said look if you if you don't do something about this to manufacturers and i guess they haven't punished apple um but they told (laughs) they told the manufacturers if you don't do something we will and that was kind of just enough to really push manufacturers to 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 kind of um, coalesce around a standard, um, and we've all benefited from that. And yeah. there's, I mean, less waste has been produced because of it. Um, so that's you know definitely of interest. Um, I guess we I want to come back a little bit to the, these vote these eco design votes um, and get a little bit in more in depth about them. So um, there was a season of votes. I, I wasn't the one who invented that phrase. <laughs> um, it started in December and it's going to end at the end of this week. And they um, the way they the member states go through and tech and it's a very technical process. They go through and um, look at all of the measures um, for each category of product. Um, <clears throat> And they scrutinize a text and they argue over it and they come up with, you know, different texts for all of the different uh, uh, categories of appliances and devices. And one of the things we saw in the first vote was that um, we were able to, through some pressure, um, save the provisions for disassembly for, uh, sorry, um, design for disassembly. Um, so lobbyists had almost scuppered our attempts to to get um, language about design for disassembly. Instead, they tried to replace it with design for dismantling, which basically just means recycling. Um, and so that was positive. For fridges, we were able to achieve that with lights, which came lighting, which came shortly after, and screens. Um, um, I'm not sure that language was saved. In fact, I think um, basically there's question marks around you know design for disassembly for those. And that's also something we're interested in this week is that um, washing machines are famously designed in a way where the the drum is sealed and they're not disassemblable. So we're going to watch that one. The other thing I wanted to raise with you is this issue of access to spare parts. So there was the provisions for spare parts were very encouraging in the initial drafts. Um, And then what we saw is that um, after pressure from industry, new language emerged about only professionals having access to spare parts and this obviously really troubled us as we help people in uh, in community settings and we know a bunch of DIYers yeah so what do you make of that yeah I think 
that it's uh, I suppose it's not entirely surprising but it is really disappointing and, and you'd hope that in in these last two votes they that they're able to row back on that again and make sure that parts are available where it's appropriate for for people to to be able to, to carry out sometimes quite easy repairs like the the if the if washing machines were were designed so that you could actually replace paddles or, or ball bearings in the drums, that would be like, that would be a really quick fix that that people could do, and and they should have access to be able to do them themselves, because if they have to call in a, a professional yeah. repairer, that obviously adds significant amount of money and it makes it less likely that people will take up the repair services you, yeah. ha- you have to make the repair as easy as possible for people to to yeah. do and the industry always launches in with these kind of um what about liability are we going to be held liable when somebody opens up their machine or what about risk and i just i i just i can't believe that we are stuck on that that there's not a common sense solution that suits both the the, you know, the, the person who buys their appliance and the company, there's got to be a way. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and <laughs> that provision of information on how to, so long as they provide the information on how to do it safely, then it's up to the, then the person has the liability or something like that, Yeah, um, you'd think could solve the problem. I mean, there's lots, I'm sure there's lots of lawyers who can draft m- amazing wording to help, to help industry with that one. And I'm sure they can afford those lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be watching those votes with great interest. Um, and the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is this waste strategy. So there's been a whole lot of distraction in the UK about everything but um, some of these key ministerial initiatives. So tell us, we were we were fearful that it wouldn't be published at all. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I mean, it's the first resources yeah. and it's the first waste strategy in more than 10 years for England. This, this is just for England. Um, and so I think the the sector as a whole has been complaining for, for years and years that they don't, haven't had any strategic guidance. And so it's incredibly welcome that it's been published. It's really great that they got it out despite all the turmoil of Brexit. Um, and it's probably best that the, the ambitions in the document are actually really good. Um, it, it recognizes the importance of resource efficiency. It, it recognizes that there are three R's, certainly. Uh, and it promises to transform the way society uses resources. Um, resource efficiency and, and the production process are, first, are, are the first bit of the, um, the, the document, which is, which is great because that helps set the scene and put the emphasis where it belongs. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some really good policies that have been proposed in it or promised in it, including more extended producer responsibility, which I was saying is is the idea that producers have to be responsible for the whole product life cycle um, so that they design things more efficiently. Um, Does that include packaging and all the things that are really frustrating people right now? So the first mm. thing that it's going to tackle is packaging. They're, right. they're overhauling mm. the packaging responsibility system, which is which has really been highlighted as inefficient through through a lot of the, the stories that you've been getting about the, the quality of recycling that we, we've got and the level of recycling mm. that we're managing to achieve. And so based on that and, and the public outcry about plastic pollution, that's the first thing that the, the strategy is going to tackle. Good. Um, <laughs> yes, which will be great. But but the aim is to not just stop at packaging. Yeah. Um, they're also going to be looking at waste electrical and electronic appliances later in, in 2019. Um, and then also at batteries and um, end-of-life vehicles, uh, used vehicles, and then potentially moving on to some other things like textiles and, and mattresses. Okay, but are there cold, hard targets? It's like how, how are we gonna how are we gonna make sure that this actually happens? So it's fairly future-oriented, isn't it? Um, 
Yeah, so it's quite a high level strategy that doesn't set out in great detail how mm. the ambitions are going to be realised. There's a series of um, consultations that we're expecting on some of the measures. There's been one launched on um, increasing and extending the the plastic bag tax, which is which is great, but it's quite it's quite a minor thing compared to the more fundamental overhauls yeah. that they're talking about with um, packaging reform, which is going to be published in January, supposedly, as well as. Um, a deposit return scheme for for bottles. Okay, well, we're going to hold out for that electricals and electronics consultation, which we hope will come still. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thanks so much for joining us, Libby. It's been really interesting hearing about everything that's happening both at, um, well, both here in the UK and amidst all the turmoil and uh, in Europe. Um, you've been listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. Um, if you'd like help with any, fixing anything with a battery or, battery or a plug, don't wait for this waste strategy to come forward next year. We have events, um, a couple of events a month here in London, um, uh, upcoming events in uh, Richmond, Crystal Palace, and Hackney. You can find out more at therestartproject.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook. And thanks to Optonoise and Cassini Sound for our music, which was made with lasers, spinning plastic discs, and discard electronics. And we're here every second Tuesday of the month at 5 p.m. Until next month.